Praise the Lord. It's a joy to be in the house of God today and in the ministry of the word. Title today is Where in the World Are We? So we're going to try and find out a little bit about that. It's great to have my wife, Pastor Deborah, in the house this morning. Five weeks, five Sundays, Deb has missed. It's the most she's missed in a row in her entire life. October 2nd, Deborah became ill. Didn't know what it was, maybe a sinus infection. And then after a few days, got really severe, deep cough, incessant cough checking the blood oxygen, the meter on her finger. Her blood oxygen was dropping down into the 80s and into the 70s. Dangerous. And so finally on October 12th, Tuesday evening, I made a call to the ambulance and Deb was taken to the hospital. Immediately they put her in ICU because of her depleted condition and so sick suffering from the pandemic virus. I don't like to call it by name. I'm like David. He didn't call Goliath by name. He just went up against them. It's just a personal thing. But there Deb was in ICU, and the doctor would be phoning me every day and saying how depleted she was and at night taking 85 90% oxygen assistance and Every day he was talking to me about intubation. I said, doctor, please be patient. I said, Lord, no intubation, please. I said, doctor, people who go into intubation, many of them never recover. He said, it's true, many of them never make it back because their lungs are so damaged by the pneumonia. And so there were many prayers that were going up many prayers day and night, intercessions by my family, by this church family, international community, and a few days in, about five days into the ICU, and Deb was at death's door, and sometimes when I was praying in the spirit, I found myself coming against the spirit of death as the Holy Spirit prayed through me. And then I said to the Lord, what is the sign that Deborah and I will go up to the house of the Lord, for I was 13 days under the virus myself. What is the sign whereby we shall go up to the house of the Lord? Remember King Hezekiah? He asked that question. He said, Lord, what's the sign that I will go up to the house of the Lord? The prophet came and said to King Hezekiah, set your house in order, for it's time for you to die. King Hezekiah wept before the Lord. He turned his face to the Lord and began to call upon the name of the Lord. And the Lord said, I'll add 15 years to your life. And King Hezekiah said, what is the sign that I will go up to the house of the Lord? That's the important thing. What's the sign? Well, I said, Lord, what's the sign that Deborah and I, but especially Deborah, will go, will go up to the house of the Lord? And then one morning the sign came. And my sons, Mark and Graydon, saw the sign. Mark said, she's coming out. Graydon said, it's over. I said, it's done. Deborah's coming out. We saw the sign. <laughs> then I heard that Deborah made a vow to the Lord. And I say, Lord, you love to move on the vows of your people. 
Well, I'm sorry this morning that I can't tell you what the sign is. Maybe Deborah will tell you what the sign is that she has come up to the house of the Lord. But we're so thankful this morning. After 12 days in ICU, the 10th day, sudden, sudden turn, oxygen 70%, and two days later they moved Deborah out of ICU into a regular hospital bed. She came home this week, and we're trusting now just for a full recovery of those lungs. Thank you. We ride on the prayers of the saints. We're here this morning because of the strength of the people of God. And we're so thankful to the Lord. Well, where in the world are we? A couple of months ago, a brother in the house <clears throat> came and asked me a question. He said, do you pastors have any insight in where we are in the book of Revelation? Has God told you anything about the end time events? Where are we in the book of Revelation? And I had no answer for him that morning. But the question kind of stuck with me. Where are we? So I went and read in Revelation, and I found some passages I'm going to share with you this morning. Now, I hope you're not too disappointed in the message this morning. It might be a little underwhelming. You might be expecting some great predictions. Where are we in the book of Revelation? What is really taking place? You know, there are three main views or interpretations of the book of Revelation. Two are more literal and one is more symbolic. So depending on how you interpret Revelation can encourage certain directions in you or certain feelings or emotions about where you are. But I don't know if the book of Revelation is to be taken literally and just fits in a few years at the end of time, or if it's symbolic and has covered the whole New Testament era until the coming of Christ. So this morning, I don't know if we're anywhere in particular or everywhere in general. But one thing I do know, the seventh trumpet hasn't sounded yet. Revelation 10, 5 to 7. Seven trumpets, seventh trumpet is the last trumpet. Seven seals in the book of Revelation, seven thunders, seven bowls of wrath, seven trumpets. Revelation chapter 10, five to seven. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished, as he declared to his servants the prophets. In the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, seven angels, the final one, in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished. What is the mystery of God? Well, the Bible tells us very clearly, Colossians 1:27. It's the preaching of the gospel throughout the New Testament days. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory and this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you is the mystery of the gospel. Mystery, it speaks of a revelation. 
I prefer to use the words marvels or wonders. The wonders of the gospel, the marvels of the gospel, the revelation of the gospel, the preaching of the good news of Jesus Christ to save sinful man and give him eternal life, that none should perish but believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the great mystery. This is the great unveiling of the gospel. Christ in you, the born-again experience. Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. Ephesians 6, 19, the Apostle Paul said, And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery, the marvels, the revelation of the gospel, Christ in you, salvation for people who accept Jesus Christ and Lord. That's the mystery. Now, Revelation 11, 15 to 18. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and reigned. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come, and the time of the dead that they should be judged and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. Sin destroys the earth. The seventh angel sounded, and the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord. Time of God's wrath, the time of the day of judgment upon all people, and reward to the servants, the prophets. The seventh angel is the coming of the Lord, the end of the gospel era, when time will be no more. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. Say, are we close to the end? Well, we're closer than any generation. Now is our salvation nearer than we'd be when we first believed. I don't know if Gabriel's ready to blow that trumpet, but maybe he's warming up with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. When the seventh angel sounds, time will be no more. The wrath of God will be poured out on this world. It will be judgment day, and we'll be gathered together forever to the presence of the Lord. The gospel offer will be ended. The opportunity for every person to receive Jesus Christ in the Lord, to have Christ in them, in the seed of divine nature, Christ living in every person by the Holy Spirit. The mystery of God will be finished. 
but the seventh angel hasn't sounded yet. We're all still here. Well, I thought, well, maybe we should back up into trumpet number six. Number seven hasn't happened. Let's see what trumpet number six has to say. So Revelation 9, 13 to 21. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them, and thus I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue, and sulfur yellow. And the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents having heads, and with them they do harm. But the rest of mankind, who were not killed by these plagues, did not repent. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Judgments of God falling, calamities falling. But mankind did not repent of their idols. They did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. They did not repent, but we have. But we have. We've accepted Christ as Lord, repented of our sins, received the salvation of Jesus Christ. So I want to go through these this morning. Number one, they did not repent of their idols. A world that does not repent of its idols. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Either Jesus is Lord or you're worshiping idols. You're either worshiping God the Father, God Almighty, or you worship idols. It's a world full of idols. There are bad idols and there are more acceptable idols. But anything put in front of Jesus Christ is an idol. If we're not worshiping Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, we're worshiping idols. There are bad idols, idols of wood and stone, obscene images, more than a billion people on the earth today, maybe two billion, a quarter of the population, worship idols of wood and stone and the demonic powers that back them. Obscene images, grotesque images, worshiping idols. All false religion is an idol. 
All false religions are an idol. Jesus Christ, the Bible says, is the only way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way to the Father except through him. You shall have no other religions. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other idols before me. More acceptable idols, philosophies of men, plans and pursuits, purposes that people have. Bible says men will be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Anything that's put in front of Jesus Christ is an idol. They did not repent, but we have, and now Jesus Christ is Lord. We know he's the only way, truth and life, the only way of salvation. There is salvation in no other name but the name of Jesus. And we've repented of our sins and accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. And now our greatest delight is to worship him and walk with him all the days of, their li of our life. Number two, they did not repent of their murders. It's a world filled with violence and hatred and war and strife and cursing. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man when he returns. In the days of Noah, the Bible says that the earth was filled with violence, hatred among men, strife, cursing, wars, wars, fighting all over the earth, genocide and infanticide. They did not repent of their murders the killing of the unborn children. Unborn children in the womb. Until this last generation, no one could have believed the scale of this evil and this wickedness perpetrated upon the nations. Such evil minds, such a great wickedness to take the most vulnerable and defenseless, the child in the womb that's being developed and born. No one could have imagined or describe the horror of this. And now it's even protected in our laws, the laws of the land. We believe in the sanctity of life. We believe in the dignity and sanctity of every human being. That the Bible says even though man is fallen and is sinful, yet he's made in the image of God and his life is to be respected and every person is to be honored and treated with dignity and treated fairly and treated rightly. Ecclesiastes 11.5 says, Who knows how the bones of a child, of a child, a child, who knows how the bones of a child grow within the womb of she who is with child? John the Baptist, six months pregnancy, six months in his mother's womb, and when news came of the great salvation of the Lord, the Bible says little John the Baptist leaped in his mother's womb, he danced for joy, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. A world that not, does not repent of its hatred and its murder and its strife. Titus 3, 3 to 5, for we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy. Look at this, hateful and hating one another. 
without the love of God in our hearts. Living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another, but when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, the born-again experience and the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts, once living in malice and envy, once hateful and hating one another. They did not repent of their murders. They did not repent of their hatred. They did not repent of their strife. But we have because of Jesus Christ our Lord. Number three, they did not repent of their sexual immorality. Judgments of God, calamities, difficulties, people refusing to acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord, refusing to bow their knee to the King of kings and Lord of lords, to God Almighty. Neither did they, neither did they repent of their sexual immorality, but we have a world of fornication today, premarital relations, couples living together without the bond of matrimony. Across the programming on our televisions and videos, promiscuity, sex outside of marriage is presented as normal, as acceptable, as a delight. Entire programs given over to this kind of lewdness. And then we have further abomination in our land today. Same sex, perversion and lewdness, things that the Apostle Paul said, we, it's a shame to even speak of these things, and I hate to even mention them in the house of the Lord because of the beauty of holiness and the purity of our God. This is the first generation that's gone beyond Sodom and Gomorrah. And the cup of iniquity fills up. The cup of iniquity in the nations fills up, the Bible says. And when the cup of iniquity overflows, the judgments of God fall and the land spews out its inhabitants. 1 Corinthians 6, 13. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. Be clean, you that bring the offerings of the Lord. Flee fornication, flee youthful lusts. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. A world that does not repent of its sexual immorality, but we the redeemed of the Lord have. Number four, they did not repent of their thefts. My it's a world filled today with stealing and theft and fraud. 
It's unimaginable, the proportion of theft that goes on in the world every day. Bank fraud, credit card fraud, identity theft, break-ins into houses and business and construction sites. There are global companies, billion-dollar companies, raised up entirely to protect people today from theft and robbery and that kind of violence. It's a day where everything's under surveillance, cameras and security. We're so used to theft, we're so used to stealing in our society that we don't really even give it a second thought. But we're always conscious, is my house locked? Is my car locked? Is my garage locked? Where are my valuables? Where's my computer, my keys, my iPhone, my wallet? Where we're always checking. It's a world filled with theft and robbery. A world of theft. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28 says, Let him who stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good that he may have something to give him who has need. Let him who stole steal no longer. The Bible says, thou shalt not steal. They did not repent of their thefts, but we have. And that's why when you meet a true Christian, though he's a stranger and you've only met him for a minute or two, you can leave your wallet in open sight. You can leave your bank information in full view. You can leave your valuables with that person and walk out the door for the night and know that nothing will be taken because they're honest. True Christians are honest. They will take care of your own things as if they were their own. You can, let your, you can set your valuables on a street corner. And if a true Christian comes upon them, that Christian will do everything they can to find out who you are and where you are and return what they have found. Return it intact. Thou shalt not steal. A world of theft. A world of stealing. They did not repent of their thefts, but we have... And now we're trustworthy and honest. And we serve the Lord in righteousness and integrity. Well, number five, they did not repent of their sorceries. A world that does not repent of its sorceries. The Greek pharmakia, anglicized most people say pharmakia, pharmacy, pharmaceuticals. The marginal says drugs. They did not repent of their drugs. They did not repent of their drugs. Why is it translated sorceries? They did not repent of their pharmakia, their, their sorceries. In Galatians 5 verse 20 where it List the works of the flesh. The works of the flesh are evident, which are these adultery and strife and jealousies and bitterness and resentment and witchcrafts. It's the same word, pharmakia, witchcrafts. It seems clear that this word pharmakia is translated in Revelation 9 and Galatians 5 
as sorceries or witchcraft because of the use of potions and poisons and drugs in the magical arts and occult practices. So that's probably the reason it's translated that way. But again, the marginal simply says drugs. They did not repent of their drugs. There are bad drugs and there are good drugs and there are many drugs in between. There are bad drugs, nicotine and marijuana, narcotics, street drugs, illicit drugs, destructive drugs, drug cartels and drug pushers. It's a worldwide disaster. Families that are devastated, families that weep and are in sorrow because of the drug use that has come into society and into the world. They did not repent of their drugs. They did not repent of their drugs. Then there are good drugs, prescriptions, medications, cures and remedies for the people of Earth and many of God's people today are dealing with symptoms and ailments and deficiency in their body. Some are kept alive by prescription drugs, by the cures of the medical field. The Bible says, a merry heart does good like a medicine. There are medicines, there are cures, there are helps for all people through the medical field, but then there are many, many drugs in between. Bad drugs, good drugs, many in between. And my, what a push by big pharma in our culture and time. Nonstop push and persuasion. You need this drug, you need that, you need this prescription, you need something else. You never know what could come against you. Apprehension and fear. Persuasion by Big Pharma. Drug companies, pharmaceuticals. Such a pressure, such a push. A world addicted to drugs. From the womb to the tomb. Get everybody on prescriptions on some kind of medication. Get the children on the drugs and prescriptions, the teenagers, they need it, and for mental health and disorders and just the normal cycles of growing up and get the young adults and keep the adults on prescriptions, on drugs their entire life, a world dependent on drugs. Now, there are good prescriptions, and I know many believers who've been on prescription drugs, and they've been helped praying, believing God, trusting in the Lord for healing, but these prescription drugs have been there. I, I personally have no condemnation or judgment against believers that are on prescription drugs. I have no condemnation. It's not easy to navigate this fallen world in a not-yet-redeemed body. But more and more, I want Jesus to heal us 
by the power of his spirit, by the gifts of healings, by the workings of miracles, by the gift of faith, by the laying on of hands, by the word of God, by the word of faith. More and more we cry out for Jesus to heal our bodies. I have no condemnation to believers that are in trial and suffering and having to take some benefit from these cures of the medical field of our day. There are some who would say, well, brother so-and-so, I guess brother so-and-so isn't healed because he doesn't have enough faith. I guess sister so-and-so didn't get healed, can't get healed because she doesn't have enough revelation of the Word of God, of the healing scriptures, of who she is in Christ. I guess this and I guess that. Not enough faith. Must be some sin in their life. Something must be out of order. Miserable comforters, says Job. Physicians of no value, says Job. I guess this and I guess that. Looking out over the people. I say this kindly. If you're so full of the power of God and have such great revelation of the healing scriptures, then why don't you go over to your brothers and sisters and lay hands on them and heal them in the name of Jesus Christ? That would be better, wouldn't it? But I have no condemnation. I have no judgment against Christians that are on medications and prescriptions and they're calling out on God and trusting Lord for strength and for life and for fullness of days. Two years ago, the end of October, my mother went to be with the Lord. 96 years of age, my dad passed away the October, the year before that. In one day, my, one afternoon, my mother fainted, collapsed at the table where she was having dinner at the seniors complex she was living at, and kind of fainted and came to and of course right away they were going to rush her to the hospital and so they did and I arrived about an hour after the event first happened my mother had just settled into the makeshift area in emergency and I went in and she was doing fine smiling and talking and laughing praising the Lord no real discomfort at all doctor came in and they'd done some tests already in the ambulance and the doctor said to her you you only have a few hours to live you've had massive heart failure but we can do we can help you we can do something we can probably extend your life for two years my mom said no i'm i'm going to heaven today i'm going to go be with the lord today my time has come well the first thing the doctor wanted to know I was right there beside my mom. The first thing he wanted to know is what, what prescriptions, what medications are you on? My mom said, I, I don't take any. He thought she misunderstood. He asked her again, what, what prescription drugs, what pills are you taking, what medications? She says, none. The doctor turned and looked at me in disbelief. He could hardly believe his ears. I said, my mom doesn't take any medications and never has. lived in the strength and health of the Lord right to the end. 
six hours, and I was with her the last five hours of her life, and what a joy to pray with her and talk with her. She was fully coherent and cognizant right to the end, and then two labored breaths, and she was gone that night. Psalm 105, verse 37. Psalm 105, verse 37. When God brought his people out of Egypt, he also brought them out. He brought them out. They were born again. They were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. He also brought them out with silver and gold, with finances, with provision, with occupations. And there was none feeble among his tribes. There was not one feeble person. Two and a half million people walked out of Egypt, and there was not one feeble person among the tribes. Incredible day, that exodus. Imagine it, that night of the exodus, in the middle of the night as they gathered their belongings and they began to move out of the land of Egypt. They were carrying people on sick beds, and stretchers, and people were bent over on crutches and canes. People that had injuries, people that had some deformity in their body, struggling to walk, struggling to make it out. But the Bible says all of a sudden, the power of God came on his people. The power of God came on his people, and Grandma on the stretcher said, I'm, hey, I'm starting to feel better. And little children that had ailments and injuries and deformities, they began to leap and dance. And soon the ditches, soon the ditches of Egypt were strewn with sick beds and stretchers and crutches and canes and eyeglasses and pill bottles and, and all kinds of medications. And the people of God walked out in full strength under the power of God. Not one feeble person, it says, among their tribes. Two and a half million people walked out, followed God out into the wilderness, and for 40 years the Lord showed how he cares for his people. Forty years, no drugstores, no pharmacies, no hospitals, no doctors, only manna from heaven, only I say. Supernatural supply, the bread of heaven. They ate it. It was all they needed to sustain their life spiritually and physically. And they had the I am name. I am the Lord who heals you. And God looked after his people. And Moses said in Deuteronomy 8.4, your garments did not wear out. Your clothing did not wear out those 40 years, nor did your foot blister, your feet didn't blister and ache and pain as you walked and traveled those many journeys with the Lord. What a night. Some people disparage the old covenant, but I don't. That's the glory of the old covenant. And in all the pages of the Bible, you never read of one night like that where two and a half million people came off sick beds and were recovered and restored by the power of God and walked out in the strength of the Lord, completely healed by the power of God. I love the glory of the old covenant. Well, the Bible says the glory of the new covenant surpasses the old. Jesus, the Son of God, came. The new covenant the new administration of God with his people and with the nations of the world. 
Jesus, the Bible says, in him dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily. To him was given the Holy Spirit without measure. Every gift, every ministry of the Holy Spirit operated powerfully in Jesus Christ. The Bible says in the Gospels, he healed all who came to him. He never turned one away. A leper came, Lord, if you're willing, you can, you can make me clean. Jesus said, of course I'm willing. Who would dare suggest otherwise? Stretched out his hand and healed him. Look at Mark 9, 35. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. The glory of the new covenant. Teaching and preaching and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Jesus never turned one away. All who came to him were healed by the power of God. Matthew 10, verse 1. And when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Jesus gave his 12 apostles power to heal every sickness and every disease. It seems you can't operate at that level without a divine commissioning. Otherwise, you're at the general healing level. Lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Gifts of healing, working of miracles. But it's like these apostles received a divine commissioning. It's like the healing ministries, especially of the 20th century, men that were so empowered by the Holy Spirit in such a dimension of power, healing power. It went beyond the norm. It was unusual. Commissioned by the Lord and the authority of the Lord. Well, what about the glory of the new covenant? Let's go down to Acts chapter 5. Pentecost and the early apostles. Acts 5.12 says, And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch, yet none of the rest dared, dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them and they be healed. Also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. The glory of the new covenant, Jesus, the apostles, People brought from surrounding villages and towns, and they were all healed. We read in Acts 28, 8-9 of the Apostle Paul as he happened on the island of Malta after the shipwreck. And listen to what it says. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went in to him and prayed, and he laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. 
If you were on that island of Malta and had a sickness, an ailment, a disease, and you came to the Apostle Paul, you were healed by the power of God. The rest of the island came. Whoever came was healed by the power of God. The glory of the new covenant. The glory of the book of Acts. Well, here we are today. 2,000 years. So we look through the 2,000 years of charismatic history. And we look today, many healings, many miracles among the people of God, many signs and wonders, gift of faith, workings of miracles, God touching his people by his power. But yet many are suffering from injuries and ailments, people of God all across the world needing medications, needing help, needing some doctor's care, needing some prescriptions. None of us can fully understand or comprehend why there isn't a, healing, a greater healing dimension. When the healing promises are so clear, and yet we know the warfare is so real. We're in trial, we're in days of battle. We have not yet received the full redemption of our body. And so this is a battle realm that we endure as we walk through the earth. But I want to tell you this morning that there's coming another exodus. When the seventh trumpet sounds, that last trumpet, and Jesus Christ returns for his people, there will be one last exodus out of this world. It'll be full and final. And across the world, across the world where there are believers, they will come off hospital beds. And their prescriptions and pills will be left far behind. And crutches and canes will be left far behind. And broken bones will be healed. And dementia will be healed. And any problems that the people of God have will be healed in a moment as Jesus Christ returns. And under that irresistible divine pull of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we who are alive and remain will be caught up with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord there will be no more sickness the Bible says no more suffering no more pain no more trial no more pharmacy for the former things will have passed away and we will be forever gathered into the presence of the Lord worship ministry come the Bible says wherefore comfort one another with these words. Down here we struggle, we fight, we war, we have spiritual battles, we contend for victory in our spirit, soul, and body. But one day when the seventh trumpet sounds, we will be forever with the Lord. Maranatha, friends, our Lord comes. Our Lord comes. First Corinthians, First Corinthians 15, verse 50. Close with this scripture. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery, a marvel, a wonder. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. There are only seven. Trumpet number seven. 
in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Death is swallowed up in victory. Let's stand this morning. Our Lord comes. Ask the Lord this morning for his healing presence and power to fill the church, to fill your life, to fill your family. Ask the Lord to minister to you. And those of you who are under trial and struggle, put your confidence in the Lord. Put your trust in the Lord this morning. Give a shout of victory and thankfulness to the Lord, for he has kept you alive and you walk before the Lord in the land of the living. And everlasting joy and gladness is upon your head because we have victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The altars are open this morning if any would like prayer. Perhaps you need to consecrate yourself to the Lord. Turn your heart to the Lord. Give your life to Jesus Christ, please. Make your way to the altar. Confess your sins. Say, I take Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Some who are struggling this morning with trials, sicknesses, ailments, feel free to come down. Believers will pray for you and lift you up in the name of the Lord. But for a few moments, let's thank the Lord this morning. He's coming soon. The great day of the Lord, the great day of our God. All death, sickness, harm, injury, pain will be ever swallowed up. And we will live in the eternal presence of our God forever.